Did you know that you can help us produce new seasons of our podcasts and audio series? At Studio Chenta, we just launched a new series of audiobooks based on our podcasts, and they're currently for sale. There are many titles available from romantic comedy to horror, true crime, communication and linguistics, food and lifestyle, migration stories, and much, much more. Available in Spanish, English, Italian, and French. Check out our full catalog at ochentestudio.com slash audiobooks. And find the titles on apps like Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobook app. Thank you so much for supporting our work. Older women want oh, to yeah. feed you until you die. Hi, this is Kiona. And this is Luis. And we're your hosts of How Not to Travel podcast season three. Fasten your seatbelts and take your seat at the table. And this season, we're traveling around the world from our dinner tables to see how cultural exchange contributed to some of the world's most famous foods. This week, barbecue. I see that you brought barbacoa tacos today. We're recording this in Monterrey, in my hometown, and... This city is well known throughout all of Mexico as Capital de la Carne Asada. Carne Asada, so grilled meat. And it also has a tradition of eating barbacoa, taquitos de barbacoa, especially on Sundays. And today happens to be Sunday, so it's our lucky day. We just got some barbacoa tacos. We got them at a really nice puestecito de tacos. Do you want to like describe it a little bit? You were there? Yeah, so... Plastic chairs. Yeah. <laughs> plastic plate or what we have here is styrofoam. I love it when the senora who's cooking is cooking with her bare hands. Like, I don't want any gloves. You have to cook with your bare hands. <laughs> yeah. Even better, she's handling money with her bare hands and then stuffing it in her bra. <laughs> to me, those are the best tacos. So I'm excited to try. But also, I know you said carne asada means grilled meat. Do yes. you know what barbacoa means? Barbacoa is a very interesting word. It actually comes from the Arawak language of the indigenous Taino Caribbean people. The original word is barbaca, and that word refers to the wooden structure that is used to hold the meat over a fire. So is barbacoa a derivative of barbaca? And does that also tie to barbecue? It does. They all share the same origin, and they actually ended up referring to very different methods of cooking, but they all have to do with exposing meat to open flame or to, you know, very direct heat from flame. But how, I guess we're going to get into this, but how did the Caribbean Arawak people end up in Mexico? Or I guess at least their method of cooking. I did want to go back a little bit before we go into the history, just to talk about how barbecue can refer to a lot of different things. So on the one hand, you can talk about grilled meat, like really like grilling a steak on the grill or something like that. Mm. But it can also refer to, especially when we talk about barbacoa in Spanish, to methods of cooking that aren't over a grill, but rather usually slow cooked underground at least that's the more mm. traditional way of doing it barbacoa we call it barbacoa de pozo so like pit barbecue that allows the meat to like develop a very smoky taste and it's also cooking slowly so it becomes very very tender okay so i'm originally from hawaii or 
Hawaii. And that's actually how we do luau's. So luau's started when one of the Hawaiian kings decided to start eating with women. And previously, women and men never shared meals together. And when he got rid of that rule, luau started like a big party. They're like big cookouts. And I never would have, I guess, considered them barbecues. But it is now that you mention like a pit under the ground. The food at those cookouts are traditional Hawaiian foods. And my favorite part actually is the earth oven. It's called an emu, where you basically dig a hole, put hot stones under the ground, put your meat. It's usually pig or fish because it's an island um, and some vegetables. You wrap your meal in taro leaves or luau, and the stone ground oven is then covered by banana leaf. Did you know that you've probably been using the word luau a little wrong your entire life? Everyone knows that a luau is a big feast, right? Well, actually, the word luau is a misnomer. Luau refers to the leaf of the taro plant served at these big events. The correct word is paina, which means a gathering of people for the purpose of dining in a celebratory way. In other words, a party. Of course, simply by way of usage, most people will probably understand you better if you say luau than if you say paina. But it might be cool to mention this when you go on your next luau. I mean, paina. So is that kind of what you guys do here too? Yeah, at least traditionally. To be honest, like most places where you would get barbacoa these days wouldn't do that whole thing because it requires a lot of time and like a lot of space to have this pit underground and everything. But you can definitely still get that, especially in more rural areas or places that mm. still traditionally cook that way. You know, now that you mentioned the luau's, I, I really like that because it's so interesting how in a place that, that I've never been to and in a culture that isn't mine, I still would feel very much at home there yeah, in yeah. something like that, you know? When I think of barbecue or a luau, it's very community-oriented. Like in yeah. luau's, you are killing an entire pig, and there's no way you could eat one by yourself. You have to yeah. eat it with other people. And so I just think it's cool, maybe like the development of going from community-oriented and that still exists. This method of cooking, at least traditionally, really could only be done with like the whole animal or at least a big chunk of the animal, right? Like to this day, we still have a particular type of barbacoa, which is called barbacoa de cabeza, in mm -hmm. which you actually put the entire, you know, the cow's head underground mm -hmm. and like you cook the whole thing underground. And so that meat tends to be particularly tender. It's interesting how this technique historically requires the whole animal because it doesn't make much sense to make a whole fire to just cook like a steak or something like that, right? You, you would need to like cook the whole thing and then bring the whole community together. It's very like community oriented. But I'm wondering if like as we, I guess, have a personal barbecue individual method, do you feel like it's taken the community part out of it? Or do you feel like you still eat barbacoa tacos together like in community? Definitely the cooking methods have changed and now it's a lot easier to make barbacoa on your own in like a slow cooker or something like that, right? And you can definitely get a very similar result. But I think that, for example, here we have barbacoa los domingos, right? So Sunday mm -hmm. barbacoa. So th that's still sort of like a very, in our tradition, a very Sunday food. Yeah. And I guess like Sundays are traditionally like for family. So you would eat them together. Exactly. It's actually kind of reminds me um, when I go 
on Sundays, uh, usually actually um, with my grandma. Well, my grandma that's Korean from South Korea. And we go to eat Korean barbecue. And oh, nice. have you had Korean barbecue? What did you think? I don't think I've ever had a full Korean barbecue experience, which I know is like a whole thing. So I'd love to know more about it. Yeah. So it's usually you sit in a big booth. There's a grill in the middle. Um, so you cook your own food, your own meat. And oh, nice. Yeah. The servers just keep bringing you more meat. It's like buffet style. And in my culture, and I'm sure in your culture, um, yeah. The what we call ojimas are like the older women want oh, to yeah. feed you until you die. <laughs> and yes. it's like when my friends come with my grandmother, they're like, this was so amazing until it was miserable because I cannot <laughs> eat anymore. <laughs> and yeah. my grandmother judges everyone. Like if you don't eat enough meat, oh, she is yeah. judging you. I think that's a universal thing, right? Because it happens a lot here too. It's like, an older Mexican lady, like a Mexican abuelita would be like judging you if you don't if you don't ask for like a second helping of pozole or something like that, right? Even though pozole, for example, is a very heavy dish. Yeah. So it's already big. Like I can't eat anymore. Exactly. It's it's so funny because like you would say, you know, the abuelita would say, like, would you like some more? And you'd be like, No, thank you. And the abuelita would be like, No te gustó entonces. Yeah, right? you're <laughs> like she takes that personally, like it's her own cooking. Yeah. And you're like, No, I loved it. And that's why I've had enough. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. Well, it's similar in Korean barbecue in that they just keep bringing more. And um, not only that, there's this thing called banchan, uh -huh. where it's very small plates of vegetables. And it changes with the season. So it's not always the same. And they also just keep bringing out more banchan. Actually, Korean barbecue can't be traced back to the first ever humans by any means. Um, but it is a pretty old tradition going back to 30 before Christ. Okay, yeah. Actually, the meat being grilled over the fire is called bulgogi, which means fire meat. Oh, okay. I, I had heard of that word before, but I didn't know what it meant. Yeah, kind of like what the Arawaks call barbecue. I actually saw this TikTok <laughs> that was a Mexican person trying Korean barbecue for the first time, and he brought his own tortillas. <laughs> and he was Love like, pass the bulgogi weight. And I just thought it was like the perfect cultural mix of, you know, adding your own spin to the, another culture, but like it being very similar to your own. B-Y-O-T, you know, yeah. <laughs> bring your own tortillas to this. Exactly. Like, yeah, this is the way to do it. Oh, I love it. Now I, now I want to try that. <laughs> yes, me too. Actually, I was like, man, that, that's not a bad ad addition. <laughs> yeah. Again, like I said, you eat Korean barbecue by having a grill in the middle of the table and having meat brought out that you cook together as a family or community. And then you have a whole bunch of side dishes all around called banchan, and they're usually vegetables. Well, we almost lost the tradition of Korean barbecue when Buddhism came to Korea. And actually, Buddhism banned meat eating for over 600 years, which is why banchan was developed in the first place, to flood oh. the table with vegetables. But yeah. actually, when the Mongols came, uh, they took over and they brought meat back with them. So, you know, the Mongols actually introduced Korean barbecue back to us. And then wow. the Japanese colonized and there were huge meat shortages. So the tradition left again and didn't come back until the 90s. So very recently. So Koreans really had to fight to keep their Korean barbecue, which is why it's such a, it's like a, a sacred thing for us. Like we don't go every day, especially since meat right. isn't a huge part of our diet, probably due to the Buddhists. But 
we definitely do it on special occasions. Like if somebody graduated or on a Sunday or if somebody's visiting. And, you know, for us, my mom is always the person that cooks the on the grill um, or my grandmother and she serves us all. But when I think about grilling in the United States, like I see it as a very Uh masculine thing. Did you know that the tradition of men working the grill is really only about 100 years old? In many cultures all around Asia and Latin America, it was women who performed the task of cooking meat over a fire. It was only after suburbanization in the 20th century that grilling was popularized as quote-unquote manly thing. As the single-family home became more popular in the United States, so did the family backyard, and with it, the backyard grill. And the role of cooking meat outdoors was marketed as masculine for a few reasons. It's quote-unquote dangerous because it involves fire. It provides other men a form of entertainment as they can watch someone else grill. And perhaps most importantly, it's a cooking method that doesn't require a lot of cleaning. I have a question. Were the original Arawaks, you know anything about how they cooked? They also cooked in a very communal way, of course, right? So, like, everyone had a role in preparing different parts of the animal and in preparing and lighting the fire and, you know, preparing the structure and everything. And once the Europeans arrived, they took a lot of those methods of cooking with them. And not only, of course, there in the in the Caribbean islands, but also to the U.S. and then to Mexico and to South America, Central America as well. And so this method of cooking really became widespread across the Americas, right, in general. So how did an ancient Caribbean form of cooking eventually become such an American staple? I mean, you explained that the Europeans came and brought it, but like, what made it so popular? Europeans discovered how much they liked the taste of the meat when it's prepared this way, because of course, we know that Cooking meat on a grill or cooking it underground gives it a very smoky flavor. And so they brought it with them and they started preparing things that way. And then another undeniable fact is that slavery was a big part of why it's so popular, because a lot of the tasks that revolved around cooking were done by the enslaved people. So there's actually a very important Black and Indigenous tradition and origin to barbecue in the U.S. And I think it's really important to to highlight it, right? Because unfortunately, it suffered from a lot of erasure, especially as we picture the typical barbecue on a Sunday. And what you picture is like a white nuclear family in the suburbs and the dad is grilling and the kids are playing in the backyard, you know? So, and, and you have this image of like this, this white dad grilling, right? And so what I think is important to remember is that a lot of these techniques have these origins. So on the one hand, the indigenous root is very important, not only in the Arawak tradition, in the Taino tradition, but also in Native Americans who introduced ingredients such as corn, beans, spices, and chilies, which of course all eventually, you know, became a part of the sauces and just the methods of cooking. Yeah, so like a Native American banchan. Yes, exactly. I hadn't thought of it that way, but exactly. And then, of course, Black people were also 
the ones who very often made these foods. And so they were the ones who developed the very particular seasoning that we know today as barbecue. And in fact, what we see today, for example, commercially sold as barbecue sauce is actually like a very mass produced version of those original sort of sweet flavors of barbecue that would that would be commonly used in in this type of cooking by black people. Now that you mentioned that, the best barbecue I've ever had in the United States was in Tennessee and it was by an African American chef and he had the best smoked ribs ever and I don't even like pork, but I ate everything on my plate. Yeah. It's just so interesting that this started in Latin America, traveled via the Europeans, then the Native Americans had their own techniques, and then they passed that on to enslaved Black people that came, and then those people added their own thing to it, and now it's like a very 4th of July tradition in the United States. Unfortunately, during 4th of July, neither Black nor Natives nor Latinos really were free at that time. Right, yeah. And so it's just kind of a weird, hypocritical juxtaposition of, yeah, we do cookouts on July 4th, but really, like, not everyone was free on July 4th, our Independence Day. I found this quote from an article from today.com that I really, that I think really encompasses all of this, which is that, you know, Europeans saw the ways that Native Americans cooked meat and basically, you know, modified the methods to create what eventually became pit barbecue. And then because of racism in society, in a huge chunk of American history, there were only a few occupations that black people could do without generating white resentment. And one of those Mm. was cooking. One of the few occupations that offered more than just survival and where you could actually prosper as a cook, right? Because of all of these methods and because that was something that also was very welcome in society at that time. Well, I guess we could say that barbecue is a cooking method that contains the history of human beings, like back to fire invention, yeah. all the way until carne asadas. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. it talks about colonization, sharing, feminism, and it brings us all together at the end of the day. Like it's bringing us together as a community. Exactly. Did you know that grilled meat tastes so delicious because of science? If you like to cook, you've probably heard the term Maillard reaction. It was first described by French chemist Louis Camille Maillard, and it describes a very particular type of browning in foods. For example, when a steak is cooked at a high temperature, such as on a grill, sugars and proteins interact in a whole bunch of different chemical reactions, creating new flavors and aromas. That's why not all cooking methods are the same, and that steak won't taste the same at all if it's boiled. The reaction is super complex, so much so that scientists are still discovering every single thing that happens during the process. But fortunately, we don't have to fully understand it to enjoy it. Let's try these tacos. Let's try them. Mmm, super rico. Mm Mm-hmm. The salsa is everything. So what do you think? It's so tender, like it's melting in my mouth. I don't even have to chew it, really. Yeah, it's super, super tender, very soft. Also, the flour tortillas is something very of Monterrey. Um, And of northern Mexico in general. Yeah, northern Mexico. Usually I eat my tacos corn with two tortillas because they're so thin. Yeah. But this is one tortilla wrapped in flour, and it tastes delicious. A lot of people think that flour tortillas are more of an American, like a U.S. thing. 
And I mean, it's certainly true in a lot of Mexican communities along, you know, the Southwest, especially. But they're definitely also a tradition in northern Mexico. So, But I think so. There's definitely onions and like cilantro and the salsa made out of some sort of green chiles and tomatillo, which is like the small green tomatoes. So So I feel like this is banchan in a taco. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And that's it for this episode. If you're still hungry for more, stick around and listen to our other episodes this season. How Not to Travel is produced by Studio Ochenta and hosted by Dr. Kiona and me, Luis Lopez. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Production and sound design by me and Chiara Sandella. Our production coordinator is Catalina H. Vélez. And our social media manager is Sofia Rodríguez. You can follow us on Instagram at HowNotToTravelPod and at Ochenta Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Ochenta Podcasts and on TikTok at Studio Ochenta. Read more about the show and about our other productions on our website, ochentastudio.com. Thanks for listening, y buen provecho.